0: Welcome to the Comic Syllabus, a comics analysis podcast on the Multiversity Network of Podcasts. We read widely and we dig deep in the world of comics and graphic novels. Um, today, we're going to be talking about our favorite graphic novels of 2019, uh, including such titles as... I'm going to give it away, Johnny. I'm starting to spoil it already. <laughs> <laughs> such no, as no. A New Kid and uh, Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me and many other great graphic novels uh with my pal and new co host Johnny Hall. How you doing, Johnny? I'm doing great,
1: Paul. Uh thanks for inviting me and and uh it feels like a real honor to uh to be a part of this uh this fun experiment and uh glad to
0: excited to talk comics. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh don't say it's an honor yet, you haven't actually uh made it through yet. <laughs> the <laughs> the comic syllabus Uh-oh. is uh-oh. It's a podcast on the Multiversity Network of Podcasts. Um, and you know you find us at multiversitycomics.com side by side with a bunch of um, interviews and comics news and reviews of comic books. We still do reviews of comic books, Johnny, at multiversitycomics.com <laughs> and um, other great podcasts that um, you can find that cover everything from DC and Marvel Comics to Star Wars to uh, whatever the heck Robots from Tomorrow covers, which is pretty much everything. Um, so. Everything. We're really glad to to be part of Multiversity and um, excited today because, you know, I think part of the realm of interest for comic syllabus is the the wide world of graphic novels, Um, whatever the definition of that is, which we will have to haggle about later. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But actually, (laughs) first off, I just want to let listeners know, uh, if you regularly check in with the podcast, you know, Johnny Hall, who has been a friend. Um, and, a, you know, um, a, a participant in our conversation quite often. And uh, I've asked Johnny if he would just regularly be a co-host with me because I just have so much fun talking to you, Johnny. I feel like your insight, your interests, your, um, uh, your, your passion, um, there's some heavy overlap, but you also bring a much fresher perspective and a lot of, a lot <laughs> of great, um, just a lot of great thought. And I think I just vibe on so many levels with you that um, I am um, really, really thankful to have a conversation partner and not just always to be the uh, lone weirdo podcasting on a solo mic. So, Johnny, um, can I just tell you how lucky we are as the Comic Syllabus crew to have your voice regularly? Thanks for being here. Well, thank you so much, Paul. And, um,
1: you know, when you asked me, I kind of wondered what my role would be on the show. You do such a great job speaking at length on books that you love and uh as a listener, I always enjoy just, you know, being in a room with you, <laughs> listening to you talk about comic uh comics for an hour. Yeah. And uh so I kinda just uh, wondered how I fit into this and I hope, uh not being a comics educator or um uh a professor like you, but uh <laughs> uh kinda taking not, not a um not a student but um co conspirator I think <laughs> is a better a better word for how I fit in. Um, just a, a guy lending my two uh, two cents to uh, to your enlightened uh, <laughs> <laughs> discussion. Um, yeah, I uh, I just looked back at my Twitter DMs earlier, but uh, hmm. the first time I hit you up on Twitter, hmm. and it was about guts, Raina Telgemeier's guts that you, talked, huh. you had an episode about. And I, I find that interesting because I think we'll talk about her uh, today. So, That's great. I'm excited to uh, have a chat with you uh, today, and and many more episodes to come. Hopefully,
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely, um, and yeah, I got. I love that co-conspirator idea because I think for us both, there's something to comics that is more than just you know entertainment, and and really not not just not academic. Really, I mean, I think it they speak to our kind of mm, what I what I always put under this very broad brush of culture, you know, and cultural engagement, whatever the heck that means. And I just, I feel like you see it the same way. There's times when um, I think, I don't know, is anyone out there thinking about this, (laughs) a way that I'm thinking about it, you know, some way that speaks to who we are, uh, as you know, human beings with souls, uh, a part of society and accountable to each other, that kind of thing. And and I just love that you have that similar heart. Um, and, and also, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're different in a lot of ways. I, I think you're a lot more, um, uh, sometimes just a lot more circumspect than I am. And other times you just are a lot more <laughs> honest than I am. Like sometimes I see you on Twitter, you know, ever see the Key and Peele sketch with the, they had like Obama's Obama's anger translator
2: <laughs> to say the things that's that like you feel like. He's,
0: I just feel like, oh man, I, that's what I would say. If I had any guts. Right. <laughs> Speaking of guts. <laughs> <laughs> so um but maybe um, uh
1: yeah. Tactless I think is another way of nah. saying, <laughs> saying how I act on Twitter uh, occasionally, just but keeping uh, it real. Keeping it real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: It's, um, but it's my own private we're... echo chamber, I think. <laughs> well I'm there. I'm echoing. Um <laughs> I think uh as well though, um, you know, we just have been able to connect in terms of our tastes and the kind of questions that pop up for us in reading. So uh, I think that re- reflected in our list. When I saw your books, you know, uh, not to give anything away, I thought like, yes, there's many things on here that like on a different day I woke up, you know, on a different side of the bed, and this would be my list. So yeah, and and um, I'm always impressed that how how
1: um, widely you read. I mean, you say right in the title of, of the podcast. To read widely, and there were some uh, books on your list that um, surprised me, and I hadn't gotten to yet, and felt a little embarrassed by. So, hopefully, uh, you can enlighten me and the listeners uh, on why you picked it, and Mm. and uh, and then I can rush out to the local comic book shop and grab it. (laughs)
0: Well, that goes both ways for sure. Uh, I'll I'll cop to some severe blindnesses when we get to the lists. So let's get to that list. Um, You know, uh, listeners, if you haven't already, subscribe rate and review the podcast i haven't said this in a minute like i <laughs> do talk about this thing but then i was like oh i should get my act together and be a proper podcast now that johnny's on board and uh you know you can always feed back uh with us and, and interact with us on facebook and twitter and uh, instagram uh we'll find out uh you know how much we want to share that so let's let's take a quick break and then we'll jump into our favorite graphic novels of 2019
1: subscribe. Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow on iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now,
2: back to your show.
0: All right, Johnny. We're getting into these lists. I'm excited.
2: Yeah. yeah,
0: Bringing my hands together. Um, So I think the way (laughs) that we thought we'd go through this is we just go 10 to 1 and um, alternate. You know, Johnny, you start with your number 10. I'll do my 10 and 9. You do your 9 and 8 and so on. And just a little qualifier: Project. these are our favorites of 2019. We're not necessarily establishing criteria for <laughs> what's the best. Yeah, just yeah the, kind no, of the best. I'm no arbiter
1: of best. I'm not. I don't think I read widely enough to decide that. This is just something that a list of things that I really got a lot out of uh, over the course of 2019. So, right, right. Unfortunately, that you know, not every book can make a list for sure. Just because I haven't read them.
0: Yeah, well, you know, highly subjective to our experiences. But also, let's just sure. you know, cop to we we probably you know there are reasons why certain things uh, rise to the top of our reading piles, and um, I think you got us all the list, man. You know, so it's no thanks. It's you good. as well. I'm excited <laughs> to listen to. You. I do think that there's some coalescence on parts of the uh, of our lists that just I don't know. To me, that that gives me some credit. I feel like. <laughs> I'm not <the> only one. <laughs> Again, I'm no uh,
1: connoisseur. I'm no, I'm no taste maker here. Um,
0: so I just also first wanted to define graphic novels, which is possible. But you know, I I, I didn't include for the most part um, a lot of what I actually would consider graphic novels, and I quibble sometimes with editorial at Multiversity about this in being a graphic novel reviewer because there's books that are plainly and clearly um, only going to get their attention uh, because they were maybe published individually in, um, in, in sort of smaller pieces that don't get reviewed or looked at and everybody's sort of almost awaiting the collection to really talk about them. And so I, I do want to, I always want to review those, but I didn't include those if you'll um, indulge me, I'm just going to run down my list of five. And some of these actually do appear on your list, which is absolutely nothing wrong with that. It was just, this was my cheater way of cramming more into the <laughs> list without having to make room for them. But um, actually, a sure. whole bunch of them came out this year that I think are significant for us. Yeah, fans. absolutely. Yeah. So um, I'll just do that list real quick. Um, sure. Uh, Clyde fans from Seth came out. Um, I got to review that at Multiversity. And, um, uh, you know, many years of Clyde fans, that story and Seth's work. Uh, Rusty Brown from, um, of course, Chris Ware came out. Um, Berlin, which is a, you know, phone book of a collection of, mm-hmm. of uh, basically Woods. a life's work. Yeah. Uh, you and I talked about The River at Night, um, which is Ganges um, uh, collection from Kevin Heisinger. And then Is This How You See Me? Of course, is Jaime's Jaime Hernandez's collection uh, from the last string of Love and Rockets going back to the little magazine size things. So yeah, those are those are all sure. ones that would definitely make my list had I not <laughs> secluded them to this collection. Yeah.
1: List. And I think uh, the reason a few of them did make my list, or a couple of them anyway, is that I think that there's something to be said about format and how it informs the work and how even the work is changed yeah. between formats. Like mm. uh, Ganges in particular, I know that there were certain uh, formatting things that uh, that Heisinger did that, you know, changes how we read it. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. So I think that that's important to uh, make um, uh, some room for it on my list. Uh, Absolutely. That it changes the, the original work enough to put it on a graphic novel. Now we could say OGN and GN, but we'll just <laughs> say graphic novels and, and be done with it. Agree, agree.
0: Yeah, and I think Clyde fans, uh, you know, Seth had done, some updating and you know cleaning up some old pages for sure. That's happening yeah, with Rezinga right. and and um, I think Rusty Brown to some extent. So uh, it is. Yeah, uh, Rusty Brown was reworked as well. Yeah. 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 Definitely deserves reconsideration. Um, but uh, I'm still gonna st- keep stand my ground and cheat, <laughs> so, I can, <laughs> so I can get more things on the list. And, and speaking of, sure. of, of of that cheating, I don't know if you had some honorable mentions. I I have a list, and it's probably even then insufficient, but. Um, some books this year that I really liked that were like that close. I would say that all of them were number 11. (laughs) Uh, Waves (laughs) by Molly Mendoza, Skip. Oh no, sorry. Skip by Molly Mendoza. um, Waves by those uh, European artists. I can't remember the name. Americana, Horizontal Collaboration, Pittsburgh, They Call This Enemy, Stargazing, King of King Court, uh, La Voz de Mayo, Bloom. This was our pact. And then I just picked up from the library um, Basquiat, the, the Basquiat bio, um, right. and then a book called Swimming in Darkest by Harari. Those all look really good, but, um, you know, those are my whoops <laughs> <list. Right. laughs> Um, I don't know anything yeah, for you. Yeah, I would you? say that
1: Waves, Waves definitely stands out as an honorable mention.
0: Mm-hmm. I thought that was, book that
1: book was really affecting. And, yeah, um, beautiful. Powerful. I don't know if we can consider it a graphic novel, but Sobeck, James Stokoe's uh, short box original original yeah short box uh con- contribution uh yeah. that stands out to me as something that i don't know if it's necessarily a graphic novel again we're yeah. in the, the really gray area there but yeah. that that book really spoke to me always fun to see
0: stoko doing what he does best so that's right right all that intricate detail um but you mm-hmm. know big splashy um yeah, I, I oh, yeah. picked up. You know, I had that. I got that short box in the mail, and it was a lot of like fun stuff. That at least Lisa Trayman had one, uh, in in one. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was the same box, but um, stuff that just you know, all of it is really you know beautiful, um, kind of weird or fun. Absolutely. Or whatever. But uh, that one was cool. Zolovik so is cool. Um, yeah. I don't, does it count? I don't know. <laughs> Something else that should count <laughs> that that I totally. Um, miss as you'll hear in my list is i i just a huge manga blindness and i read manga but i don't read it on time like um something on your list that i haven't caught up to where you are on where, where you're at on it um still like catching up with my my Urasawa and stuff so I, I just as far as comics of this year i can't speak with any authority on manga so that's just yeah not I'm, n- I'm not a, i'm
1: not any sort of manga authority i just know that there are artists <laughs> that i like <laughs> and one artist in particular who will show up on this list yes. uh, had to be included just because I think the the book is a lot of fun to, to experience and, and talk about.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, those preliminaries aside, Johnny, I, think, I feel like we, I need some music here. Uh, <laughs> 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 Why don't you kick us off with your number 10 graphic novel
1: of 2019? Sure. My uh, number 10 is an entry from First Second Books. It's the second volume in the... Uh, the Adventure Zone um, uh, series. Uh, it's called Murder on the Rockport Limited. Uh, this book is a uh, just. Um, well, let me let me first cop to being a bit of a and nerd. I love Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> uh, I play with friends, uh, you know, every couple of weeks. And That's awesome. this book, uh, this book is from a podcast that it's like a real play an actual play podcast for Dungeons and Dragons, uh, mm-hmm. by the, um, McElroy brothers of the, the, my brother, my brother and me, uh, yeah. fame. And they've adapted the story that, uh, it's been completed now, but they've adapted the story into several volumes, uh, with art by Carrie Peach, mm-hmm. uh, from Lumberjanes. And, um, yeah, it's just a, it's just a lot of fun. Um, Carrie Peach's art is great. It's nice Mm. and cartoony, Um, and uh, I think that um, it takes all the best from a normal home D&D campaign like Mm. pop culture riffs, uh, uh, bad decision-making, and just being – with a you know interactive storytelling with a group of people that you love and mm-hmm. kind of distills that into a comic work and it's I think it's hard to pull that off and mm-hmm. and they managed to do so so it's a nice. lot of fun it's an nice. easy
0: breezy number ten nice I like that start that's I think that's the right tone to start one of these lists with you know uh, sure. something that is your biweekly D and D fun indulgence I uh, mm-hmm. you know I admit that, that that is another of my pop culture blind spots I, I never did. Uh, get into uh, RPGs and stuff like that, although recently our family went by a comic shop and there was some gaming going on around a table that they just kind of impromptu set up. Um, I mean my my kind of connection to to d and d and stuff like that is a little bit deeper in terms of having friends who've been like not only into it but like have opened stores and stuff like that where where kids play. Sure. I shouldn't say kids, sorry, people of all kinds. Anyway, right. <laughs> my daughter was, <laughs> saw these folks sitting around a table playing this you know, game, and she was just like, what is going on? There was like something going on there that she really yeah. wanted to like check out and lock into. And so that imaginative, shared social element, um, uh, I, I love that. Um, actually, Adventure yeah, I think Zone... That... Go ahead, no, please.
1: Yeah, well, I think that... Um... You know, D and D has kind of seen a resurgence within the last few years, and I think a part of that is is because we are so disconnected. Um, you know, everybody's on their tablets, and yeah. you know, we're recording a podcast. You know, you know, <laughs> hundreds of miles away yeah. uh, from each other. So I think that you know, sitting around a table and playing a game that immerses you in character and mm-hmm. um, and, and depth and fun uh, yeah. I think is it's kind of it's needed right now it's required you know we've we've yeah. we've long been a society that has gathered around the hearth telling stories sure right and right. this is this is this is the you know this this is our generation's version of that I, I right. believe and and as far as the comic goes I mean you know it's it's a family the McElroy brothers are our father and three sons mm. and and this was their way to um they lived in different spots around the country and this was mm. playing D together was their you know bi-weekly way of of just getting together and, and hanging out yeah. and it turned into something pretty special which yeah. a lot of the fans have, have really latched onto. and and that that feeds into the comic you can really
0: you can mm. still feel that in the comic as well so so let me ask you do you, if if you are just interested in comic and i've heard really good things about this i like peach a lot mm-hmm. i've uh, i've bought it you know Peach have put a bunch of older works that um, that were online on sale, and I just got a you know handful of them and read them. I love that style. But is is mm-hmm. is this a for a non-initiate like somebody who's just completely cold and blind? Is this a is this a accessible?
1: Uh, yeah, it doesn't really feed into like what it's like to play a Dungeons mm-hmm. and Dragons game mm-hmm. so much as you are in a kind of a goofy, fantasy you know swords and sorcery setting yeah. where. Yeah anything can happen just like at the at the table so that you know that it it is narrated by the the game master but it's narrated in a way that's like part editorial you know like part part marvel editor Mm -hmm. you know um but you know also breaking the fourth wall kind of speaking to the audience um just in a fun casual way so I, i would say that it it's definitely um if you have any like uh, trepidation about playing Dungeons and Dragons. You could probably start here and just see what it's, uh, you know, get a kind
0: of an idea of what it's about. Yeah. yeah. So. That sounds like fun. Sounds, I think we'll try it. Yeah. We always see it on the, on the bookshelves for the, you know, kids' comics, and I, I just uh, know that it's fun and just don't know anything about it, so I've stayed away until now. But I'm gonna check it. Yeah, out. Yeah, there's a lot of like
1: choose your own. Ad- there's a lot of choose your own adventure books aimed at kids that yeah. are
0: kind of like a good gateway into that as yeah. well so yeah that's really cool and and you know with the role-playing games are having a moment in comics too with kieran gillen and stephanie hans's die this past year um, absolutely. significant mm-hmm. title. so cool uh, yeah. what a way to kick us off um should i do my number 10 yeah all right absolutely i'm kind of starting on a similar note um in that it's it's more of a fun entry but uh, my number 10 is mighty jack and zeta the space girl by ben hatke from first second also <laughs> Both of us started in in first seconds, um, you know, all ages arm. But yeah. um, Mighty Jack and Z the Space Girl is the completion of not just one, but two series. Um, and so, <clears throat> massive spoiler, but it's also in the title. So, you know, Zeta the Space Girl is right. that three book series that um, is kind of a touchstone for my family. We just loved that. And it was one of the gateway drugs for, for my daughter. I don't give my daughter drugs. Uh, <laughs> reading drugs <laughs> for reading books and graphic novels and series. Um, she saw herself in Zeta a lot. And then uh, Mighty Jack came out afterwards. And at the end of the second Mighty Jack book, Mighty Jack and the Goblin King, the big reveal was that um, Zeta exists in this world. And so even though the stories were, you know, one and more space kind of fantasy and the other a more mythological fable kind of thing the worlds intersected and in this issue kind of kind of came to us this book this graphic novel i should say kind of came to this beautiful completion and i think the reason i put it on there and it's kind of my stand-in you know i had a lot of options in terms of kids comics um and i was thinking which one speaks to me the most from the year and i think um this book captures the spirit of of what I love about kids' comics in that Jack um, has very much the, the sort of feeling of, like, you know, a kid wandering in their own backyard, you know, and having to have their mm-hmm. imagination stretched somewhere. But it also has a lot of that high adventure um, and the kind of, like, crazy, you know, outlandish um, and mythic, uh, you know, what's going on here and and, and battles and, you know, uh, monsters and ogres and all that stuff. True. And, <clears throat> you know, I got a bit when I was reading... This, the, the, the last book, you know, of course, like all of the, the satisfying moments come from the accumulation of years of these characters. And I didn't find anything that was like especially new or, uh, you know, like I'd never seen that before. Uh, but it was just, right. <clears throat> I mean, I think it's just kind of overall message of like how we coexist, how we live in a universe together and how we look out for each other. Um, the sort of team of characters that comes to become Kind of like um, you know pals through this through this experience. It's just delivered so so nicely with uh, you know Key's characteristic pace and and style and all that. So I it just uh, you know it's a sentimental pick as many of these are for me, uh, but absolutely loved Mighty Jack and Zia the Space Girl.
1: Is it is it as much as an event as the Avengers getting together? I mean, I would it, say it, it feels so. like two. It feels like two like great kids franchises really kind of like uh teaming up and and sh- you know showing both of their like genres strengths together at the same time
0: Yeah well there is a moment where um Jack is standing there <coughs> and then you hear Zeta say to your left, and it flies in. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, there is kind of that kind of moment, that scene where they're all kind of arrayed.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, well, sure,
0: you have to. I got, I got for real goosebumps uh, when I read that. That's so. awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And
1: I can, yeah, I can imagine young readers, uh, you know, feeling that as well. I mean, this yeah. is this is their moment, um, you yeah. know, to experience that sort of
0: combining of worlds. You know. Yes. Yeah. For sure. For sure. So uh, that's my number ten. Um, uh, as we're going, we're uh, I'll do number I'll do my number nine, and then we'll jump over to your number nine. Sound good? Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said that was my only representative of all ages comics because my number nine is as well. Um, not to tuck them on the back of the list. I didn't. That wasn't on purpose. But uh, my number nine is New Kid by Jerry Craft um, from Harper Alley. Um, New Kid is a story about um, a, a kid who um, moves to a new school. He's an African-American kid. And his school is um, vast majority white, um, although there are some other black kids and particularly black males in the school. And so it's a book that's about coming of age. And it's kind of like, it's about adolescence, but particularly about um, adolescence as a a black uh, kid, as a person of color. Um, And so it's about race as well. But but like uh, one of my favorite graphic novels of all time, American Born Chinese, it's not it's sort of about the ways that that race can be complex, you know, and racialization is complex at adolescence. Um, And I think um, it's it's really fun. It's it's got these you know, in the same way that, a, a, a all ages comic, like sunny side up has like pop culture references and, and little like, you know, um, Calvin and Hobbes, like little divergences into imagination, but it also is just really sensitive to, and, 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 in its storytelling is makes really palpable what kind of the experiences for, for, for black kids, for many black kids of the ways that non-black kids can overlook and, um, and even when they learn about like, oh, this is what you go through at school, they can really minimize um, the experiences mm-hmm. of, of African-American youth. And the book really allows you to experience those things empathetically as a reader and really to kind of imagine what that would be like to, 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 be, to, to be sort of have those things uh, happen to you, to, to be treated to that kind of, um, you know, uh, I don't know whether it's sort of like awkward questions or somebody... Trying to be cool with you, who sure. <laughs> makes making a lot of assumptions, um, uh, all kinds of things, or to looking around the class and realizing that oh, all those black kids are put into a certain corner, um, and so I think it's just actually a great illustration of what you know we are starting to understand talk about as microaggressions um, via critical race theory. Now, but, do you think? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, do you think it it speaks to uh, all ages well or do you think as an educator who sees this being in yeah. a classroom uh, do you think it it drives home the point as well to a, a younger kid as it does to an adult or
0: absolutely um, and but but I think without right. any of that sort of high-flown language, you know, like it it really is sure. very relatable and it's in the kind of like micro moments of like, oh wow, like this adult thinks this of me and that's so plain and it's not you know it's not done too subtle that you can't pick it up as a kid. I feel like actually what's really affirming about it is just that like wow yeah, somebody else feels this way and has told it mm-hmm. in a way that it's like for a seventh grade kid or something like that it's absolutely um, relatable you can very easily read what's going on so um, mm-hmm. it, yeah I think it's really good and and you know there's something also to the the cartooning standard. I feel like there's been a lot of, entries into the all ages market or the the middle grade readers market and i'm i'm starting to see you know in libraries and stuff like that that the ones that really do well at least have this like cer- certain expectations of the cartooning that i think craft um craft oh, has nice. the craft <laughs> the the art <laughs> is there um and uh and really fun and so if you haven't yeah. checked out new kid I, I i recommend it no i
1: haven't i can't wait
0: to can't wait to read it yeah that's my number nine um let's kick it over to you for your number nine and then you can swing to your number eight also tucked to the back another uh (laughs) kind of all ages but
1: mostly geared towards the younger audience is uh is um guts by Raina telgemeier um there's i don't know that i have much to say about this that hasn't already been said i mean she's Mm. the biggest name in comics uh you know her her style has informed a lot of what you see in the YA on, you know, mm-hmm. crowd these days. Um, but I think this is just her at the top of her game. And she takes yeah. such a, um, uh, I mean, my family struggles with anxiety and reading mm-hmm. this with my niece was, uh, was powerful. Again, it, it, it speaks to, you know, both adults and children. Uh, mm-hmm. Raina has mm-hmm. a, a real gift for that. And, um, and it's, uh, it normalizes therapy, which I think is important, mm. um, mm-hmm. you know, not only for, for, you know, kids don't really know that it's abnormal, but mm-hmm. adults yeah, do. And yeah. I think adults reading this, it might uh, make them see it in a different light. So,
2: yeah,
0: yeah my number
1: nine is, is Guts.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you have this on my list, given that it's neglected on mine and probably the biggest and best-selling graphic novel <laughs> out of both our lists. And, you know, For I mean, sure. um, there's a maturation in Raina's work, if that's not condescending to say. But I just feel like like, there's a lot of self-disclosure and vulnerability. And she's even talked about this while she's been mm-hmm. on, you know, talking and book tour kind of things. And um, I, I just appreciate that it does open up that door of conversation and, and in a way like normalizing through the many bajillions of, of young people who will read this book and, and have read this book um, you know, getting therapy, um, uh, uh, dealing with anxiety, dealing with even, um, irritable bowel stuff, you know, like that's stuff Mm -hmm. that really bothers and haunts kids and, and affects their life quite a lot. Um, I liked guts as well. Um, I, I kind of hoped that you would have it there. (laughs) So I'm glad you did.
1: Yeah. Right on. All right. You're, is it my number eight now? Yeah, you're number eight. Okay. So my number eight, we're actually gonna talk, we're gonna pull a uh, DC three uh, podcast trick, and we're gonna talk about it later because it shows up on your list uh, a little lower down, and probably yeah. rightfully so. But uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll talk about it in a minute. Cool. So are number eight. Got
0: it. Okay. So you you don't even want to reveal it yet? No, no, I don't even want to reveal it all right (laughs) secret secret in the pocket and we will come to it and later on in my list okay that sounds good sure all right hello podcast listeners we're the hosts of the dc3 cast i'm zach i'm vince and i'm brian each week we discuss most of the new releases from dc comics focusing mainly on rebirth wildstorm and young animal We also look at the news of the week,
1: discuss the film and television adaptations of DC material, and dig into industry rumors.
0: We've also had a number of DC creators on our show, like Scott Snyder, Jim Lee, Christopher Priest, Steve Orlando, and Joshua Williamson. So, if you like Borat jokes, My wife! Bad deal impressions, This is bad, what the f***? An in-depth look at DC each week. Join us every Wednesday morning at MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. Come get juergens All right, so my number eight is Angola Janga, The Kingdom of Runaway Slaves, um, creator Marcelo de Salete uh, from Fantagraphics Books. Uh, I got to write about this a little bit at Multiversities here and review stuff, which uh, this won't be the last time I reference that. But um, Angola Janga is the Brazilian creator de Salete's um, follow-up to Run For It, which came out, I think, in 27 in the United States. Uh, Sorry, English-speaking audiences from Fantagraphics. And um, this book is based on um, the creators doing like a decade plus research on 16th century um, slaves, um, African slaves and runaways who established these villages of kind of independence, um, having run away um, in, in 16th century colonial Brazil. And um, Angola Janga specifically is about the, after they have run away, ways that they formed um, villages of um, sort of uh, independent society and how they negotiated authority in those places, um, and how certain gr- you know the groups of them were led and maintained in a particular place, and 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 yet are continuing to be kind of attacked and undermined by the um, uh, you know the, the Portuguese um, colonizers and their schemes. <laughs> um, I thought that this <laughs> book was um, epic. It was, to be honest, one of those books that sometimes I. I'm tempted to quit reading, and I think if uh, only because it was, it was so intense. And, uh, and so I read it over the space of like a month and a half. Um, but every time I went back, I didn't regret it. The art is really immersive. I think there's something really unique about it. Um, it is translated by Andrea Rosenberg, who also, not the only time that Andrea Rosenberg, a translator of Spanish and Portuguese comics, will appear on this list, and that the, the language feels really crisp and, um, and apropos apropos um and uh like i said you know at the the multiversity year in review sometimes you know there's a lot of death stroke and stuff but we've managed to slip <laughs> in these kind of things and so it wound up being one of the best translated materials and um i think what i love about it is that it in, in its you know varied storytelling um it 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 gives you this feeling of the epic scale of the complexities of you know, formerly enslaved people. And, and, you know, there's a way that stories about slavery, wherever it may be, even if unique for us, uh, uh, you know, U.S. audiences um, can become stories of enslaved peoples can become very familiar. Um, and, you know, I was thinking a lot about um, interviews I heard with Tanahasi Coates about his novel Water Dancer this year and how, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's like a even like a supernatural element in that book, because there's ways that I think this, the narrative wants, you know, we, we really need the narrative to kind of like um, shake us from a little bit of the familiar grooves in terms of slavery narratives. And this does not involve anything supernatural um, explicitly. I think there's a lot of very impressionistic parts of this book, but sure. um, it, it does that thing of really kind of taking our usual kind of, locked-in notions, and, you know, he has to unpack and, and, and really infer a lot of history, but um, really um, the complexity of human decision-making and relationships in a context like that. So my number eight is Angola Junga, Kingdom of Runaway Slaves.
1: Yeah, that's another uh, one that I'm completely unfamiliar with, but uh, can't wait to dig in. Now, does it read more like a, is it a narrative or more like a historical um like a recreation kind of like a Louis Real yeah. or is it more so it is okay great yeah, yeah 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 no
0: not not a historical uh documentary style at all much more like yeah. narratives in fact the you'll see like um the opening vignette is almost wordless you know and um mm. there's plenty of language later on um from all, characters of all sides but um it it keeps that sort of um you know it's not trying to explain history it's actually um, stories centered around characters who are playing different roles within, uh, the Palmaris area community that, um, that it talks about. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's a good time. Like I said, um, y- y- you will, you know, it, some parts of it do feel like it's kind of episodic and it moves through different central characters and, mm-hmm. you know, it can, it can, it can drag a little bit at certain points, but, um, very soon, you know, the, the narrative goes to, to different places, and you get to get oriented each time. So, I think it's part of the effect of it.
1: yeah sounds great.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right. So my number seven. Right. So we go. Um, this was uh, a late. Yes, yep. This was a late decision on my part, actually. Um, I was actually going back and forth between an interesting the, decision. Yeah, a bunch of different titles. Uh, this is where maybe I'm pushing the definitions of of graphic novel mm-hmm. a little bit, but. I wound up putting Making Comics by Linda Barry um, from Drawn and Quarterly in my number seven spot. Um, have you seen this, Johnny? I have it on my shelf. I flipped through it, but I have not like oh. read it yet. So. Well, all right. So let yeah. me... Um, Linda Barry's let great. Me, so. Let me give... Yeah, absolutely. Um, let me give you some context for which it may hit you the way that it hit me. So I talk about comics. I, you know, um, write about comics. I try to teach comics. And I don't, you know, I don't know for how many of us who read comics, there's that secret kid who longed to be a cartoonist, but just couldn't draw, <laughs> or, you know, yep. never gets to get the story off the ground that you had envisioned in your head. <laughs> and that's definitely me. And so there's always a side of comics that has spoken to not only sort of like my whatever highest critical mental functions, but also like very deep rooted this is who I am at the co- most core part of me. You know, the, the, the sort of four-year-old Paul. And, um, <laughs> and, and I think what's beautiful about making comics is that for all of us who are so stuck in our heads that we could never even feel like we can put pen to paper, um, it's essentially like a course. And if you've seen Linda Berry's syllabus, which is... Looks from the outside like a highly decorated and modified composition book, you know, one of those standard black and white uh, Mm -hmm. composition books. This book is exactly the same, it has the look and feel. In fact, I had it once in a pile of composition books and nearly lost it (laughs) because it's exactly the right shape. But it's um, filled with Barry's characteristic, um, you know, drawings and doodlings and words written on the page, and even like you know, corrections that are left in there um, and visible. And I, what I love about it is that, you know, syllabus, which was similar, um, but less of an instructional. This is like the distillation of Barry's teaching that she's done for years. And there's mm-hmm. a, embedded within the ways that this book is teaching comics, teaching comics making a kind of theory about comics um, and and and, a, and a, a you know, like a lifting up of the way that it's a kind of mark making and, and that that even, ch- you know, the youngest of children and maybe especially the youngest of children, right, can just doodle and find creatures right. and then life and, and, and story in the simplest kind of etchings. And really it goes from there. And so there's something really therapeutic about it, maybe especially for... Um, old farts like me who <laughs> long, long disappeared those dreams of being a, a cartoonist but still find something um, deeply, deeply um, uh, resonant in, 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 in the core of ourselves with drawing and with mark making and stuff like that. And so um, I, I have not produced a, a comic as a result of reading this book that will get to see see a public, a public eyes anytime soon. But I have felt immense um, like soul rest from reading and then doing things inspired by this book. And um, so Barry is the, the usual um, uh, <laughs> hilarious and, and, and really um, you know, slightly off-kilter genius that she always is. And I and, uh, love, love making comics. So that's my number seven.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's always great when you find art that inspires you to create. I think that's the mark of maybe the best kind of art is the kind that breeds art, yeah. or the, the 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 want to create in other people. So oh, that's so well put. Uh, I yeah. Um. So yeah, I I can't wait to to actually uh, dig into this as well. So I should take
0: yeah. a, a deeper look for sure. <laughs> Bring bring a notebook. Bring your own composition book. And, uh, exactly. Oh, I've got a doodle. I've got time. a doodle pad as well. Yeah. There so. you go. <laughs> All right. So you're number seven.
1: My number seven. Uh, I guess I probably should start saying these because these are. This is another one that we're going to talk about later. But oh, my, that's number true. Seven, no, no, my number seven. No, do it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so my number eight was Hot Comb, which we will talk yes. about later. It's a little lower on yeah. your list. And yep. my number seven is Laura Dean keeps breaking up with me. And yes. uh, these are two books that. Uh, definitely belong in the top 10. They probably could go higher. I'm bad at making lists. <laughs> I'm so wishy-washy. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to I had to give it a number. It got number seven, but uh, I, I really did love this book. Um, so yeah, we'll, yeah, we're number six. We'll go to number six now.
0: Okay. Is it my it. number six? Yeah, you're number six. Sure.
1: My number six is the lone manga installment on, I think, either of our lists. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a big manga guy like i said at the top but um <laughs> uh number six is dead dead demons d d d d destruction <laughs>
2: <Volumes> <laughs> You got the right number four, of d <laughs> yeah
1: yeah yeah volumes four through seven came out this year and i don't really have a particular favorite it is mm-hmm. it is collections of the serialized work um you know from japan Viz is just mm-hmm. combining them into into graphic novels yeah um I went ahead and put all all of them on there, maybe cheating a little bit, but uh, I feel like talking about the work as a whole, I bought them uh, as a collection, so I read them pretty much back-to-back. It's Ennio Asano. Uh, Some readers may know Ennio Asano from his, I don't know, fairly seminal work of the last decade, Goodnight Pun Pun. Mm -hmm. And this uh, book takes a decidedly lighter tone, or at least on the face of things, a decidedly (laughs) lighter tone, Mm -hmm. as it follows kind of like two teenagers um, uh, in their normal kind of like high school or uh, burgeoning adulthood drama. But at the background of this is an alien invasion. And that's what I kind of love about comics is it can take these metaphors and blow them up into hyperbole. And um, and it and it. And with his visual style, Ini Asano is known for just outstanding background and 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 uh, well, even even his character work is is great and a yeah. little more cartoony in this novel mm-hmm. or in this uh, series. But uh, I just love that um, you know that these aliens uh, as a metaphor stand in for just a bunch of various um, things like uh, the surveillance state mm-hmm. and global climate change the, and the, the and You know uh, the young, uh, the younger generations. You know fear of that. You know it feels Mm -hmm. like these kids are staring down the barrel of a gun, and it kind of affects how they move through society. And it's Mm -hmm. and um, and while the art is a little cheesecakey at times, and some of the content maybe a little inappropriate, um, (laughs) the the message behind it all, I think, what Ineo is or what Asano is trying to say is. Is something far more uh, deliberate and deep hmm. and uh, fascinating. So, yeah, that's my number six, Dead Dead Demon. D D D
0: destruction. D D Yeah, I'm not gonna. I love it. I love it. Um, again, so glad that you have this on your list. So I've only read volumes one through three. Um, I have the rest stored up on my iPad to uh, fire through mm-hmm. one day and you've inspired me to get caught up with this. Um, but yeah, Sano is a beast, um, absolutely incredible creator. Yeah. And just, I mean, I guess a question for you is is for us who've read Pun Pun, you know, there's something, there's, it's uh, on the surface as well, you know, it's, it's, it's got this cartoony bird character, really dark um, mm-hmm. and, and, and- Very dark. Tell us about this one and is it kind of going those similar places? Um, not, not as
1: overtly as, uh, as Pun-Pun does, you know, Pun-Pun mm-hmm. deals with, um, you know, lots of really heavy issues, sure. follows a teenager or follows a kid from, you know, young teenhood, you know, preteen to adulthood and, um, you know, just follows a divorce and, and, uh, uh, you know, lots of, um, strange, uh, you know, like, Weird sexual relationships and um, suicide, you know, Um, this one, you know, it it feels uh, definitely lighter. The kids are allowed to be a little bit, uh, um, I don't know, happier. (laughs) It feels (laughs) like.
0: yeah, Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Right. But again, in the background of that is this impending doom. And, um, and I, and I think that's Asano's, you know, real goal with this project. Yeah. He, you know, in an interview, he said that he wanted to make a book about the positive things that, that people want to see. Right. And while he's doing that, he's doing that with the, the cartoony kind of cheesecakey art occasionally, sure. uh, you know, he's saying something far, you know, deeper in the background, you know, he's in <laughs> like Hickman, he's very nihilistic. And I think that, that. <laughs> That really rings true in the work, and uh, something that yeah. I particularly find uh you know a little uh, find comfort in, yeah, know? well, not comfort, but you
0: know like a similar
1: i uh, vibe with it, you
0: know, yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah, you mentioned actually in something that you 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 know some notes that you've written, um, a connection to Forsman's into the effing world, is that that's, oh yeah, that's that kind of nihilism vibe right, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's, this is good. I am gonna have to reread one through three before I you know it's sort of I can't even remember besides some you know um, random images right <laughs> what mm-hmm. what is going on but I I do think that um, between Asano's tone which is very unique but also like Junji Ito's horror thing that um, is make you know making a splash here um, stateside right. in the U.S. I I just think. Um, Manga of a certain disturbing quality is um, really, uh, you know, getting the kind of attention it deserves as and and fits with our social moment, I think, with our historical moment. So, um, yeah, good stuff. (laughs) Um, Well, uh, on a very different vibe, (laughs) I'll jump to my number six. Um, My number six is The House by Paco Roca um, from Fantagraphics. Also kind of a late ad, because I just read this recently, um, but I fell in love with it. It is um, Paco Roca um, created Wrinkles and Twist of Fate, the Spanish creator. And this is a story, the house, of three adult children who come home to fix up the house of their departed father. And while they're fixing up the house, we sort of meet them. We, we encounter their, you know, their tensions, their... Um, they're life stage issues. Um, the first one we meet is the middle child who is a novelist um, and then the older brother and younger sister come back and you know there's moments that they relive, um, unsaid things that finally get said, that kind of a thing. And um, I don't you know I, I don't have you read Paco Rocco? Have you read Wrinkles or, or Twist of Fate?
1: I've read Twist of Fate. Okay, not read wrinkles. But... yeah,
0: yeah, that one's good. Um I I just um love that, you know, his his rhythms. I think he's got great storytelling rhythms. There's actually um a little bit of I think um Chris Ware, but but not so navel gazy you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> just kind of like into yeah. telling the story. Um there's, and and just as an example, there's some really, you know, much more lightweight but but subtle uses of like schematics you know like uh there's like a family tree I love that's schematics. used to tell stories right a <laughs> little bit of floor plan of this house but um it, it just it it makes really clever use of 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 i don't know the location uh in a way that um not exactly but but um it's almost like the the location becomes a character kind of like uh, richard mcguire's well no, i here. mean it makes
1: sense i mean it is called the house so it's called the house that's you know, you, right
0: you, you that's right you would want you know
1: you want i think it's smart of uh, Paco to, to really give you a sense of the place, you know, and, and how the characters move and, you know, fit inside it. So yeah, yeah, that sounds fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that like Richard McGuire's here, one thing I think about as I read it is um, I think wrinkles was adapted to um, a film Um, is, is just that there's something unadaptable about this. There's something that like, this can't quite be a novel. This can't even quite be a film mm-hmm. because, you know, I think comics have that nearest resemblance to architecture page, you know what I mean, <laughs> where um, you, right, you right. move at different angles around the similar space and you overlap it with characters and lives and memory. There's a lot of like dipping in and out of memory, which is signaled by a color.
1: Oh, that's um, fun. So,
0: yeah, it's it's um it's it's not long and it but it just packs a lot of punch with these very quiet moments and uh, eh, I really enjoyed it and cer- certainly there's a lot to the sentiment and the um the overall sense of like um you know missing parents and, and thinking of mm-hmm. of your age parents and your own upbringing that is <laughs> obviously speaks to 40 year old me right now but um, <laughs> it's also just um, really good comics so my number five is the house from uh, Paco Roca. Awesome. Yeah. And I'm sorry, that was my number six. That was your your number number six. six. Yes, yes. My number five actually shows up for you later on uh, where I think, as you said, it deserves to be. If only we could just make everything one, two, or three. (laughs) (laughs) It all deserves to be Exactly. So I will hold off on my number five, but uh, since you named it, um, it is Bottom Feeders. Um, I'm sorry, since you named yours, My number five is bottom feeders, but we'll talk about that later down down the list. Great, yeah. Uh, My number five,
1: and this is where I kind of cheated a little bit when we talk about the definition of of, uh, graphic novels. (laughs) I actually did put rusty. I actually did put Rusty Brown by Chris Ware in the Pantheon Graphic Library. Um, I don't know that. I mean, there's been a ton of scholarly work about uh, Chris Ware, but Mm -hmm. I think it. You know, every time he this is a collection of of the rusty brown comics from Acme Novelty Library. Um, mm. But every time he puts a collection together, it's uh, you know the the artifact, the the, the mm-hmm. physical you know collection of this piece is always just something to to sit in amazement of. You know, yeah. just his. I mean, maybe it is a little navel gazing. That's fine. But his just <laughs> meticulousness. Yes. Is just it you know uh, just it's watching a, a a master at work. I think yes. it's just yeah. watching someone who, who has such a finely, you know, toned uh, handle on the craft of, of making comics and yeah. and and weaving narratives within one another uh, is just just brilliant. It's definitely a book that warrants multiple readings. Mm. Um, and even the readings that you do you know it it take it took me a while to get through rusty brown i mean it is a these are dense works he fills the page up with many 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 panels mm-hmm. <laughs> all doing you know so much uh against one another so um yeah just a just a brilliant work
0: yeah for sure yeah i will always uh have, you know where will always have a special place in the pantheon for me I think uh, Jimmy Corrigan brought me back into comics at one point, when I was just fed up with uh, how asinine <laughs> so much stuff was. Yeah, I Jimmy I mean, Corrigan, and was, my mind was blown.
1: Yeah,
0: it just just a brilliant
1: creator, one of our best. I mean, it feels weird to put him at number five on my list, but yeah, um, yeah. I, I would say it, it falls back because it, it you know these are dense works and sure, and um, yeah, just uh, sometimes less is more and. And yeah. while I love Rusty Brown, I mean, it is is it is a lot to get through. Yeah, very heavy yeah. work.
0: Yeah, I actually haven't finished uh, the read through with the. I mean, I got it, you know, day one, but mm. um, I looked at it, and actually, the maybe the worst thing that happened was that I was like, oh yeah, I remember this. Like, I remembered part, reading parts of it from. Um, oh yeah. From Macme Novelty Library, and then I was sort of like, oh, I, I need a, I need some time and space to. To really gives yeah. its due, and I haven't since then. But I, you know, obviously made my list because I know it's good. And and uh, but um, I'm I'm sure that I wouldn't have been able to kept it off if I had given Mr. Ware the time. But he's uh, he's, fine. <laughs> <laughs> he's fine. He's doing. Fine. <laughs> yeah, he'll be okay. He'll be okay at number five on okay. our list. <laughs>
1: right. Uh, is it time for number four?
0: Let's do it. You're number four
1: yeah like, so again and I won't I won't spend too much time on my number four because it is a bit of a cheat as well but it's also <laughs> um, a celebration of yes. the two podcasts that we did previously so my number yes. four is both Pittsburgh by Frank Santoro in the New York Review of Comics or at least the, the American translation yeah. Yeah. and the river at night which is uh, drawn quarterly Kevin Heisinga's Ganges work collected. Yes. Uh now Pittsburgh is an OGN, but uh, you know, of course River at Night is a collection. But yeah. you know, we've already talked about both of these comics at length. We both professed our love for them. Mm-hmm. I think both of them work so well if e- e- to talk about together. Um mm-hmm. uh against one another. I just think that these are you know, two great tastes that taste great together. <laughs> these are <laughs> these these are fun books. Uh yeah. well not I don't know about fun. They're dealing right. with some... Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Ganges was a lot of fun. Pittsburgh was yeah, a little Yeah, they, they a little got heavier. their moments of fun. Yeah, yeah. hmm <laughs> But yeah, these are two two great comics. Both belong on the list.
0: Yes, yeah. I am severely regretting not putting Pittsburgh on my list because... Uh, yeah, I was wondering <laughs> why it didn't show up, but... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey. I'll, we yeah. gotta reduce somewhere. No, I mean, I'll link to the, our, our past <laughs> sure. conversations this year about them. Um, you know, and uh, just for people to know, we, you know, you and I met up at CXC Columbus and got to sit in a little panel with uh, Santoro and Heisinger. Uh It's funny, that was like 40 minutes, but we've talked about it probably for like a good four hours. Um, <laughs> <laughs> together, me and you. But, yeah, right, um, exactly. You know, the, the works themselves, Pittsburgh is, yeah, you know, I'm gonna say this about the rest of the, my list but pittsburgh is also one that will stick with me um like i think i'll think back to pittsburgh it just left an indelible impression on me um so yeah i'm feeling really dumb for not having it on my list now but um. i yeah i
1: definitely think pittsburgh will be the the work of the two that i will revisit more just because it's hmm. it's definitely an easier read as far as word you know word count and, mm-hmm. and you know uh heisinger does a lot of like in a, you know, Chris Weary kind of wearing kind of way. I mean, he's just tons of panels yeah, and um, maybe harder to get through. Pittsburgh I think is feels like flipping through a picture book. And for that, I think it's just fun to just sit with and kind of let it wash over you. That's right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think also there was a a certain intensity about reading Pittsburgh as an experience, although exactly as you say, there's something to that style with, relying on markers and, and color pencils and stuff like that, that mm-hmm. does kind of wash over you more than, um, require you to sort of squint your eyes and scrutinize. I think, um, yeah. I think for me, it's Ganges has been around in the sim in a similar way to Rusty Brown, you know, like that's, sure. it's, it's been doing its thing in my brain for a while. Um, what Pittsburgh was sort of like a, Oh wow, look at this. And, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, I'm just revising my list right now. No, I can't. These are the ones. Started, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to add a number. Four point. Between four and five, there's Zerg. That's the new number. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, good, good, good. Okay, so that was your number four. Uh, I think mm-hmm. we go to my number four and three now, right? Correct. Yeah, so my number four, we, we'll talk about now, which is uh, Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me, written by Mariko Tamaki, Art by Rosemary Valero O'Connell um, from First mm-hmm. Second Books, and this was your number seven. Um, since number i was seven. actually just gonna respond to you, um, do you want to go first on this? And I tell, can us, sure. Us, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Go for it. So
1: uh, I'll just explain what it is first. It's um, it's a tale of, of young love and navigating both toxic relationships and platonic friendships. Um, it follows, is it, her, her name's Freddie, right? Yeah. It's been so. a while. Yeah, so. yeah, it's eight, been a minute since I read it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It follows Freddie and she's, she's in a really bad relationship. Yeah. I think we've all had one or two or several of those. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, and <laughs> with Laura Dean and right. this, and, yeah, with Laura Dean, who is the coolest kid in school. And, yep. and this is just her navigating, you know, the ins and outs of that, that time in, in her life. And, yeah. um, uh you know it's got scripting by Tamaki who is just lights out everything yeah. she does yeah. uh, i think she just has a really strong voice um and then Valero O'Connell who's again a Lumberjanes alum mm-hmm. i just felt like i had to point that out I love the <laughs> love the Lumber, lumberjanes sure. uh she's just got a great uh she's just she's just a great artist um really dynamic visuals um her characters don't look samey um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which feels like you know that when you when you get an artist that can draw like that, it feels like you know the uh, the time it took to do that is really there. I mean, the the strength of the art kind of shines through, um, and it makes and she makes the setting uh, come alive, uh, feeling very lived in and, and real. Uh, the book is mostly black and white, but there's like a really dynamic use of the color pink. Throughout the book, Mm -hmm. um, highlighting – they call it millennial pink. I don't know who coined that phrase, but (laughs) it's just pink. (laughs) Uh, But it does serve a narrative purpose, the the use of color, and I I really uh, think that Mm. that, um, it makes for a stronger book. Mm. Um, And then again, it's about a gay romance, but I don't necessarily – it doesn't really dwell on the gayness. Um, Mm. It dwells on the romance And that kind of feels refreshing. There's no, there's no like, it's not a coming out story, nor is there Mm -hmm. any like homophobic, uh, you know, antagonists really Mm -hmm. in the, in the book. Um, And that, that seems to like bolster the narrative of it just being a comic about a relationship. And -hmm. I think that that's important, Mm -hmm. especially for, for young readers that might be picking up the book for the first time. Um, You know, seeing the normality of, Of their just relationships so yeah so yeah it could could go easily in my top three but you know I'm bad (laughs) at (laughs) this
0: there are only so many many numbers Um, yeah I mean I think it ranked this high almost in spite of me like I don't know that I wanted to have um, a sort of teen romance graphic novel Mm -hmm. that high except this was just so well done that I could not deny its place at its four spot for me um yeah yeah i love what you said about it um in fact i since you since you were you know talking about it, i've just been cogitating on this millennial pink idea <laughs> but you know it's, it's this thing where like for us gen xers pink had you know went from like this sort of like hot pink to of our childhood yeah exactly like, in our adolescence we kind of like you know ah, pink you know and then like there's Mm -hmm. a reclaiming of pink uh, along with sort of like i don't know like an embrace of queer you know like there's just something really yeah it could be sure really cool about the that that pink um that that sort of and and you know laura dean is has these james dean vibes this like you know too cool to care kind of thing and um and i think that there's something in that pink that is has has a way of touching like um being cool, but also actually having a a heart. Um, There's a lot of heart in this book. I feel like, you know, Mariko Tamaki this year is just killing it Um, between the Harley Quinn book, which, you know, could have easily made its way onto a list like this. Um, And also, I think Gay gay uh, Young Romance is also, you know, continuing to bloom this year with titles like Bloom, Um, that I think there were a lot of books, a lot lot of books and graphic novels that, um, yeah, my goodness, like, just so glad that they're on shelves for, for young people to read. Absolutely, um, and good, yeah. and worthwhile. <laughs> really, Yeah, yeah, and like you said, like, and, and different, you know, I think Bloom has its different issues, so they're all, they're complex, mm-hmm. like you said, it's, it's not kind of, I mean, similar to the way I was talking about, um, you know, blackness and, and youth with new Kid. Mm-hmm. it's not, you know, we're not sort of on the same note about it. There, there's actually some really... um you know intricate things about like you said toxic relationships and feelings and 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 um situations that um Laura Dean gets into the specifics about that I really liked um I you know what wound up I said it was too compelling not to put in such a high place I feel like story was really good um but I could it could have just sat you know in a in a whatever higher spot except that Rosemary Valero O'Connell's art and this will be true of of uh, you know the rest of my list what you mm-hmm. know all other things being equal and everything on this list is really important or interesting or good a lot of times it came down to me of like which books images and aesthetic really hung with me you know like really yeah. i couldn't yeah kind of get get those pictures out of my head or the the way that the the you know i don't know panel placement made me feel, you know, and I think Valeria O'Connell's craft was just so entrancing in this book that, um, you know, it it really, um, I think it could have even been higher. Uh, Yeah, and I definitely think those splashes of color, I I definitely think that the splashes of color really,
1: you know, accentuate those moments too. I mean, it's not just, not just, you know, uh, the use of it, but where it's being used, like what is being highlighted, I think. You know, yes. it's not arbitrary. And I think that that's, you know, uh, an important distinction. That it's not just thrown in there just For to sure. give the book a spot of color.
0: Right, 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 right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I like it. Um, I, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, I, I think. Um, uh, You know, there's a lot of books this year. (laughs) This is my chance to throw in yet more (laughs) titles like Connor Edmondson's Bradley of Him or or George White Internet Crusader or Michael DeForge books that, like, I think um, were really interesting, intriguing, but um, Mm -hmm. the top of my list is heavily made up of books that just artistically, um, as well as in terms of story and and topic, really caught my eye. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that's kind of my segment to my uh, segue to my number three, um, which is, is that right? Am I doing my number three? Yes, I think so. You're on your number three, yep. I'm on my number three. Um, My number three is In Waves by AJ Dungo from No Brow. Uh, we have some heavy representation of John and Quarterly First, Second, and fanographics on our list. Mm-hmm. Not surprisingly, we sure do. Um, But <laughs> probably, you know, a number of my honorable mentions and stuff, um, and this one come from No which is which also had a great year. Um, a. G. Dungo is um, a surfer and an illustrator and designer and obviously comics maker. Um, and in Waves is Dungo's parallel narratives of. Um, kind of autobiographical story of his partner who, um, who um, was lost to cancer um, in their 20s. Um, Dungo's still fairly young, I think, um, so this is not ancient history at all. Um, but, um, uh, you know, it's uh, that tragic story as well as a history sort of put side by side with a history of, of surfing. Um, sort of where surfing emerged mm-hmm. uh, in, among like Polynesian folk and um you know modern history of surfing via its great heroes you know the the people who were um kind of on the frontiers of on the edges of, of of developing that that craft and also being public figureheads for it and um and wove together in waves wove together those two stories into kind of a meditation that i thought was just um really profound and um, the two stories seem like how do they relate to each other? But I feel like they, they, they kind of have this overlapping waves effect um, that was really powerful, poetic, to me. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting you say.
1: You know, meditative. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, the the book is one color. You know, we mm-hmm, think mm-hmm. of we think of water being meditative. You know, laying right. out in the ocean being meditative, right. and it's right. this one color, this blue throughout. That really right. makes the book a serene, you know, like contemplation of, of, of the, you know, the, his, his recollection of this uh, yeah. tragic loss of his, of his boyfriend. So,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I feel like um, Dungo's style is something that um, it's, it's you really using like the tools of illustration and design. And those kind of visual aesthetics, um, more than other traditions of comics, and um, and I like that. I mean, I, I really like it that this, you know, any given page on this could be a magazine illustration or or um, something like that. And
1: um, well, he did. He does kind of remind me of, of Adrian Tomine in a way.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know
1: yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think you're right on with that with that analysis.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, I like that. So that's my number three, in waves.
1: Yeah, great pick. <laughs> uh, my number three, I think you had a little higher on your list. Uh, yeah. My number three my number three is Bottom Feeders by writer Ezra Clayton Daniels and art by Ben Passmore. It's a fan of graphics book. Um, where did you have it on your list? Number five, I think? Yeah. I'm
2: really
1: around going there. back. Yeah, up right yeah, now, yeah. Yeah, number five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think this is, um, you know, it gets... You know, I think the buzzword is gentrification horror. And while I do Mm -hmm. think that there there are certainly horror elements in there, I definitely think it's a little more tongue-in-cheek, a little more satirical Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, than it's getting credit for. Um, I I actually had a lot of fun with this book. Um, Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think you mentioned in the notes that it reminded you a bit of, like, the get-out type style of horror. And and I agree with that. But, yeah, it's... um, it takes place uh, in a suburb, or in a um, uh, in Chicago. Am I right? I think the so. Bottom yards, I think, is something like that.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah, and it's just uh, about this this gentrification uh, presence that uh, gets uh, well turns a little dark, and uh, <laughs> and it's it's but it's livened by uh, Ben Passmore's fantastic, you know, cartooning style.
2: Mm-hmm, and his mm-hmm.
1: again his use of color i think is really fun and vibrant it's got like this neon glow throughout so while it is being called a horror i think it it dwells in more of like the um you know the soci- societal critiques of like a they live um mm-hmm, mm-hmm, where it has mm-hmm. it has just much just as much fun poking fun at these conceits as as trying to uh n- Denote the
0: horror of it. So yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think that um, Passmore's style is a lot to what makes it feel. uh You know, we're not trying to go for jump scares here. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm not the type to be that into weird or in, definitely not into horror, but I really love bottom feeders, and I think you're right to kind of question. You know, well, not to question, but just like you know, it's not, it's not. Sort of typical horror, um, but I more I think the comparison to get out for me because that was really scary mm. was just the um shining a light on on social issues and on race and definitely yeah yeah, and, and you don't there's actually I think the parallels you know with get out was just really about this sort of like haunting feeling that there is a I don't a conspiracy of whiteness enforcing something mm-hmm. with bottom feeders. You know, it's, you have this big sort of warehouse, like apartment complex or building or something like that, or converted thing. Mm-hmm. And then there's something kind of living in the walls, you know, living in the pipes. Right. And I do think that there is a um, a feeling when you think about gentrification, not just as like a big phenomenon, but more as like how it feels in the lives of people where um, yeah. it, it does, it has like a really great, like the, the analogy of um of something conspiring in, in behind inside the building that really is about how a space is is being imagined by people and sort of like who owns it and what does it mean when we are like deciding that this space is now ours and we're gonna you know um revisit you know like revise it right. and, and and uh displace somebody and stuff like that That i think the um the book really kind of picks up the haunting notes of that really well so
1: yeah absolutely
0: yeah um yeah like bottom feeders um you had it at number three and number number three yeah yeah definitely one of the best of the year um
2: yeah
1: so is it so uh number two we're going to talk about later Okay. Number yeah. two, well, we'll have to talk about it later. It's, uh, I'll, I'll save it since it's just coming up next. Sure. So let's go to your, let's flip to
0: your number two, which I had at number right. eight. That's right. So um, my number two was Hot Comb. I'm going to actually, though, see if you want to start off with it since you had it up higher on the list and <laughs> some things to say. Sure. And kick it back to you. Sure.
1: Yeah. So this is Ebony Flowers, a uh, book by Drawing Quarterly. Um, it's yeah. part memoir, part fiction. Uh, it's just about her, um, uh, well, how about, how about we let you explain it and then I'll, uh, sure, yeah, I'll yeah, jump yeah. in with, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, uh, series of short vignettes, um, about her upbringing in the Baltimore area and a lot of the stories tie, uh, sort of, you know, are, are tied together with some relationship to, to hair, um, which, Mm -hmm. Um, You know, big thing for for black communities, particularly black women. And um, everything from the experience of being at um, the salon or the barbershop. At a salon, right. Yeah, yeah. To, um, you know, like being part of a swim team and it being a thing with like the non-black girls. And um, so, Mm -hmm. you know, autobio, sort of memoir, um, you know, short stories, vignettes that kind of have this thread going through them. And, um, Ebony Flowers, this is, um, you know, she's been cartooning a while, but this is sort of a debut book and, um, and a great one. So it's, it's my number two. Yeah, for absolutely. Yeah. Go, but go ahead. Say more about it. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing
1: you notice about her or about the book itself is, is her art style, which I feel is, mm. um, it's her hair, like the, it's been described as joyfully tangled art. And I think that mm, that's mm-hmm. pretty apropos. Yeah. you know her the art kind of infuses itself with yeah. the text around it and mm. uh it just makes for a really interesting read your eye kind of wanders across the page it doesn't yeah. it's not like you know chris ware who's very regimented and structured this is sure this is more free-flowing and and um just an easier uh easier on the eyes i think mm.
0: yeah
1: um uh, I
0: like that. Yeah, I mean, I think you're yeah. you're describing a kind of um, a kind of expressiveness that, yeah, I think yeah. Ware almost seems anxious to, you know, either lead your eye or to show off what a trick it is that he's not, mm-hmm. you know. But whereas I feel like Flowers is drawing with a, a bit more of the Linda Berry inspired. And Linda Barry, I think, was a teacher of yeah. hers at one yeah. point. So that that kind of Berry inspired. Um, I don't know if freedom is the right word, but just sort of like there's something very um visceral in it too, yeah, yeah, mm. very loose, very yeah yeah,
1: and uh yeah and and just the experience itself of reading reading hot comb was was a treasure, you know, the mm. reason I read or like to experience art in general is to take me to worlds that i don't that I don't know anything about, and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. To be um, woven into this, you know, to go along with flowers in, these, in this memoir and in these stories and in these, like, mm-hmm. even, like, uh, ads. You know, she does, like, fake hair product yeah. ads that are really yeah. interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's just a wonderful journey to go on. For um, sure, yeah. Just because it, it's so foreign to me, you know. Mm, 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 mm. mm, mm.
0: Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I'll say a few things about it. Like, you know, I was thinking a little bit about where Hotcomb would go. I knew it was one of my favorite things I read this year. And and I think this speaks to me a little bit to why I read comics. Um, and, so, and so its placement on the list is a marker for me that there's a lot of things that I read, uh, even things on this list that I feel like in some ways I've read before. You know, it's like, or at least I've tasted these ingredients somewhere, you know, um mm-hmm. and I think what I loved about Hotcomb was thinking about I mean, I'll just take I'll just say, for example, and and you know, forgive me for sort of like crassly bashing things together. But like you know, like <laughs> That's okay. like when I read Laura Dean, I was kinda like this or Bloom you know, like there's a little bit of that oh, yeah, for yeah, me, yeah. you know, or or like Paco Rocas kind of Paco roca in some other places. And and um mm-hmm. So this is a little bit feeling of like I've seen this before in different forms and, and it's still fresh and good. But I think with Hot it takes this place on the list exactly because like I was saying before about making comics, there's something that is so um, seems so true to the voice and experience of Ebony Flowers, who I, I mentioned in my um, uh, comic syllabus episode talking about it is, like me uh, an educational researcher as well just a, a PhD as well in education and and I think about this book as a book that shows up in a classroom, a college classroom, a high school classroom mm. or whatever and how it will look so different from any comics that many kids have ever read and experiencing it they will have come through with um just a, you know analyzing it thinking about it or just letting it sit will ha- will come through with different resonances for different readers but in that very powerful way that a, a singular story can you know it will be like yeah. nothing that they've seen and and it's like nothing that I've seen and uh, flowers is sort of work with the pen that um, that um, yeah I, I, I you know when I first saw it it was almost like oh is this is this the kind of refined comics art that i like and at first my answer is no it's so Mm -hmm. effective though in conveying Mm -hmm. the experience right that at the by the end of it you've you've sort of grown to um it kind of seeps its way into you and i I, I right right yeah so uh yeah my number two hot comb by ebony flowers very nearly number one i have to admit i was very much on that line it's a t- it's tough yeah <laughs>
1: um so let's see I'm, where are we now i'm debating we... with myself right now about this list <laughs>
0: <laughs> all good you know we, we this is t- this is today maybe tomorrow would look different if we didn't have to Absolutely. record today I, we could endlessly i'm sure fiddle with these especially at the top um do we go to your number two is that where we are
1: my number two but we're, yeah. we're going to skip it skip to the end because my number okay. two is in fact uh the Hard Tomorrow by yes. Eleanor Davis. Yes. But yes. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a minute because uh, because of reasons.
0: <laughs> <laughs> because of reasons, but so, I think we could... Uh, will we skip to it? Am I doing my... You'll do your number one.
1: Yeah, I'll do my number one. Got it. That's, okay, that's, let's do that. Yeah.
0: I
2: love it. So my number one
1: is Are You Listening by Tilly Walden and First yes. Second Books. So um, I think with... It really, the, the only one that was a definite toss-up, like I couldn't decide what my number one would be, mm-hmm. was, was The Hard Tomorrow and Are You Listening? Those two books I mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, just dove into and fell in love with both of them for different reasons, but I think they both stand up as, as the best of the year or at least mm-hmm. my favorite of the year. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Those two are just phenomenal creators. I love pretty much everything that they've they do.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And and Tilly Walden, is she's just a dynamo. Like I don't know if I'm just in all of the output or the energy of a young 20-something, you know, cranking through these things. <laughs> uh, you know, she's had three like huge books come out over the past 3 years. Like On a Sunbeam, which came out last year was over mm. 500 pages mm-hmm, and uh mm-hmm. and this book itself is probably probably goes over 300. Mm. And so I, I, I just marvel at not only being able to crank out these volumes, but at such a high skill level,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: trying different mm-hmm. things. Like each one of these past three books from her are not alike at all. Mm. Um, you know, they 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 just feel like very of a piece, um, and it just it builds up a sort of career that you you see in a person you you just want to marvel at. Um mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know she uh to talk about the story a little bit, it's about yeah. two women who um uh get in a car together, uh one is kind of on the road, uh trying to get a ride and and um as they're going along they pick up a, a cat along the way and this cat is mm-hmm. a little bit more than it seems. And that leads them on a, on a, on a journey. I won't quite say an adventure, but it does definitely have some very Campbellian adventure type uh, hooks. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, it's just a fascinating read. Uh, again, color plays a big, um, a big, uh, character. I think this, these big, yeah. you know, West Texas skies bleeding into the color, these oranges and purples and, and, uh, pinks and yellows. I, I just think it's a remarkable, um, remarkable book. Mm. Um, I think I liked On a Sunbeam a bit better, but I still think Mm. that this is is just a great read. Mm,
0: mm, mm. Yeah. I'm really, uh, uh, pleased that this is your number one, because this is maybe then my number one oversight of the year. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my answer to are you listening is sorry tilly i didn't <laughs> oh no um it looks amazing i and i've uh you know talked before i'm on the record of for loving and being astounded by tilly walden and uh, i just didn't get to it this year you know just oh, uh,
1: you're missing out uh, i
0: i i will rectify that very soon believe me. <laughs> um but yeah i'm glad to see this on your list and walden is not only a talent, but um, and a wunderkind, but I, I think um, different like you know, adding new dimensions with every piece. You know, it sounds like, yeah, absolutely. Um, she, uh, she does a lot with uh,
1: her style here. She kind of yeah. plays with uh, panels and and um, inking styles. It's just, mm. just a fun read. Well, um, not fun, the the, the subject <laughs> is a bit heavy, but sure, sure. You know, it's fun going along the journey with those characters. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Cool. And I'm always excited to see what she's
1: got. Yes.
0: You're number one. Tilly Waldens. Are you listening? Tilly Waldens. Are you listening? I like it. I like it. And your number two was my number one. Um, Should we get into that? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we're talking about The Hard Tomorrow by Eleanor Davis um, from John and Quarterly. And like you said, I, I admire both of these creators a lot. Try not to miss what they're coming out with. Although clearly I did that with uh, Walden <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I don't know I, I think um, sorry, reviewed hard Tomorrow for Multiversity um, in, in, a, in a print review, and I think um, it's the book this year I, you know I actually wrote about it in uh, the year in review thing as well, and I you know what I said about it, which I, I did give this probably an inordinate amount of thought, is um the reason it will be significant is I think like 10 years from now when my daughter says what <laughs> my daughter will not ask me this question in 10 years, but, <laughs> but like 20 years from now when, when she says, you know, what did it feel like for you to live in 2019, you know, um, in the era of Trump in a, a time when I was, you know, a tender age of, of under 10 years old and you were figuring out how to make sense and live within and be in, the world. Mm-hmm. I don't think anything will say it as well as the hard tomorrow. Um, so um, I'll I definitely want you to jump in about it too. But but just kind of in broad brushstrokes, it's, um, you know, it's a story of um, uh, one main protagonist and her, um, her lover, her partner, and their decision to want to try to have a baby. Um, and their efforts to try to do that, even though, You know, she is very aware um, through the relationships that we see in her um, life of the really the the, the dark times that we're in um, with, you know, the looming threat of climate change with, um, you know, the the presidential administration with. So it's kind of a near future of um, Mm -hmm. uh, of a kind of a collection of her and her friends who are all like busy activists who are also trying to live their best life and she's kind of you know she and and her partner I think his name is Johnny uh could be wrong yep, that, but his name is Johnny yep they're uh, kind of living out in the woods and building their house um and the big thing is just uh you know it's it's right there in the title it's it's the hard tomorrow it's do you do we can you know is our world in such a place where we can um actually in any good conscience procreate and hand it down to mm-hmm a child and so it's a, really about the prospects of hope in um in a times when you're really we're really reckoning with um some really hard things and she uh, she just carries that off with a ton of grace and humanity um but tell tell me about your your thoughts about hard Tomorrow.
1: yeah I, I what you said was was so you, you really hit the nail on the head I think um, mm. the book starts with a dedication or one of the dedications I think
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, to her unborn daughter and I mm-hmm. think that that's um, you know a powerful statement about the book you know mm. um, you know sorry you know, I think she says she apologizes for bringing into the in bringing her into this beautiful and and terrible world mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. that that that's what this book struggles with is is what do we how do we uh, reconcile living in mm. the times that we do, mm. and and hanging on, and what what can give us this hope to to push on to that hard tomorrow? Mm. And I mm-hmm. think it's I think it's that that desire we have in us to to bring life into the world and teach them to be better than we were or we are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm
2: -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. I think that's, that's intrinsic in all of us is, is, you know, even aside from our different viewpoints across the spectrum, you know, how we try and mold the future for our, you know, the next generation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, it just ends on such a lovely, Few pages that will that yeah. will stick with me for for forever. I think. Yeah. yeah. And Eleanor Davis really does this in a, a lot of her work. One of my favorite books of the last decade is uh, "You and a Bike and a Road." Yeah. Or, yeah. And she does this thing where her lines are very delicate and wispy. Yeah. And then she will just just like a thunderclap, she'll you'll turn the page and you'll see these very deep intricate uh pages in this case it's five double splash pages i won't Mm. say what but just just beautifully rendered work that just Mm -hmm. just just stunning and really drive home uh in each of her books just drive home the the point uh that she's trying to make in a just such a profound way and um yeah just just a tremendous work yeah. And I, and I think you're right. You know, this this book will stand as a as a, a you know, a, an indicator of how it feels to live in these times.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, how about we recap each of us recap our respective lists and sure, uh, sure. see if we have any just meta reflections before we close things off? Um, you want to go first or me?
1: Yeah, I can go first. Uh, right. My number ten, yeah, yeah. My number ten was *The Adventure Zone: Murder on the Rockport Limited* by First Second Books. Uh, *Guts* from Scholastic and Raina Telgemeier. *Hot Comb* number eight from Ebony Flowers and Drawing Quarterly. Uh Number seven was *Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up with Me* by Mariko Tamaki and Rosemary Valero O'Connell, First Second Books. Uh, Number six, Dead Dead Demons, D-D-D-D-D, uh, I think I did too many
2: T's, Destruction
1: <laughs> by Ennio Asano and Viz Media. Uh, number five, Rusty Brown by Chris Ware and Pantheon Graphic Library. Number four was Pittsburgh and River at Night from Frank Santoro, New York Review of Comics, and Kevin Heisinger, drawing Quarterly. Number three was Bottom Feeders by Ezra Clayton Daniels and Ben Passmore from Fantagraphics. Number two, The Hard Tomorrow from Eleanor Davis and Drawn Quarterly. And number one, Are You Listening? by Tilly Walden and First Second Books.
0: Awesome. And my number 10 was Mighty Jack and Z the Space Girl by Ben Hackey from First Second. Number nine, New Kid by Jerry Craft um, from Harper Alley. Number eight, Angola Janga, The Kingdom of Runaway Slaves by Marcelo De Salete from Fantagraphics. Number seven, Making Comics by Linda Barry from drawn in quarterly number six the house by paco roca from Fantagraphics. number five bottom feeders ezra clayton daniels daniels i, I missed the s sorry <laughs> and uh, ben passmore from fanagraphics number four laura dean keeps breaking up with me tamaki and valero o'connell for second books number three in waves by aj dungo from no brow number two hot comb ebony flowers and number one the hard tomorrow by eleanor davis drawn in quarterly Johnny, for all of our yeah, about the list actually pretty good on the whole, like, right? Yeah. You know, I think good. I think
1: our combined list together where we yeah, I think we did a good pretty good job of of summing up uh, <laughs> the the great year that was 2019 as at least as far as comics go.
0: For sure. Virtual high five. Um. <laughs> <laughs> up top. <laughs> Well, thanks for listening and joining us. Hope, hopefully, you you know, you all got uh, uh, some books on your lists now that you um, hadn't thought about before. And that's uh, what I love about these, these kind of lists. Please harass us on social media for stuff that we might have missed. <laughs> Johnny asked you to harass him on social media. <laughs> I am Don't... at 2ply. At... <laughs> Leave me alone. I'm delicate, man. I can't handle it. <laughs> Uh, we are on on Twitter. Um, I'm at 2 on on Twitter and Instagram and, and I find the yeah
1: go yeah and I'm at <laughs> at Johnny Hall three on Twitter and Instagram.
0: Yeah, yeah, don't at me with your complaints. Tell me though what what uh, you liked and then we missed maybe. Um, this was fun, Johnny. Thank you so much for doing this. Well,
1: thank you for having me. Uh, Paul, it's a, it's always a pleasure talking to you, sir.
0: Hey, I, and I'm putting us on the hook two weeks from now. Uh, I think we'll be back to talk about the decade, the comics decade. So I know I think this was hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. We'll talk next, next time. Thank you. All right. Thanks.